Hi everyone, this is Josh from Life on Side B, and thanks again for joining us. This week, Grant is interviewing Bridget Eileen on LGBT victimization and discrimination within the church. And how do we deal with that as LGBT people? And if there is one thing I love about Bridget, it is her love for the gospel. I think many LGBTQ people experience their faith as arriving at the cross, having this burden taken away by Jesus Christ, but then a Christian comes around with an even greater burden and throws it right back on their back and then tells them that they have to journey all the way to the celestial city like that. And that's not the gospel. This is definitely an episode you are not going to want to miss. So let's go ahead in. Well, this is Grant Hartley. I'm here with Bridget Eileen. You may know her as uh, the Traveling Nun on Twitter. She's writing a book on LGBT discrimination uh, from Brazos Press coming out um, in 2021, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, hey, welcome, Bridget. Hi, it's good to be here. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I, like I think I told you earlier, I've got a cold right now, so I hope yeah. nobody minds the fact that I'm a little stuffed up. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is a question that I've been meaning to ask you for such a long time before we get to the other questions. Okay. And that is, what does your favorite breakfast food tell us about your spiritual life? Oh, my favorite <laughs> breakfast food. Um. Ooh, that's a good question. So mm -hmm. my favorite breakfast food is uh, waffles with ice cream. This is my <laughs> all-time. Wow, <laughs> decadent. Yeah. I went through a season in uh, my teenage years where I literally ate waffles and ice cream every morning for breakfast every day. Oh my and gosh. I, I won't comment on the healthfulness of that choice but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i did do it and to this day it is my comfort food i no longer eat waffles and ice cream every single day for breakfast okay. but sometimes on a saturday morning when i'm feeling like i just really want something that hits the spot and feels like home i will make myself some waffles and ice cream so that's waffles my favorite ice cream gosh <laughs> wow <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's my favorite. What that tells you about my spiritual life, yeah. I uh, have no idea. Mm -hmm. um, I have a sweet tooth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe that's what it like, and you can draw like conclusions from that. But you know, I, mm -hmm. I actually don't really have a sweet tooth. I'm not someone who likes a ton of sugary food. Um, like when I get a ton of candy on, say, Valentine's Day, for example, when I used mm -hmm. to be a teacher, my students would get me tons and tons of candy. And it would literally sit for months in my refrigerator. And I would have like maybe a piece a week. So I I don't know. I don't know piece what it tells you. Piece a week? You have such yeah. self-control. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, sugar doesn't really do it for me. Um, mm. So I don't know why waffles and ice cream are such a big deal to me. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's pregnant with spiritual meaning. We just have to sort of uncover that in future <laughs> conversations. What is your favorite <laughs> breakfast food? Um, I love a good breakfast burrito okay um so and what that says about my spiritual life is you know sometimes it feels like my life is a scramble um all the pieces <laughs> don't really fit together <laughs> it's a, a rotating cast of characters you know my life is is changing and so i need something to to hold it together and so <laughs> jesus sort of comes in like the tortilla um, I love it. And he brings it all together. <laughs> beautiful. So, that I've, is a I've had beautiful a lot of time metaphor. To think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is the tortilla. Hashtag. Um, get it I trending. I love that. <laughs> See, now when we're done here, I'm going to be thinking about what waffles and ice cream says about me as I go to bed tonight. And this is going to yeah. like 
keep me up as I contemplate my spiritual life. For sure. <laughs> Included in your Lectio Divina. Yeah, just... <laughs> uh, well, I guess to start off, a basic question I we like to ask uh, all of our guests is, how do you identify? And Can you share a little about your journey of coming to understand yourself? And maybe even especially your, the relationship between your faith and your sexuality? So I identify as a Christian, and <laughs> I like to say that I describe myself um, in a number of ways to help people understand what it's like to be me. And so mm-hmm. among those ways, I will describe myself as a lesbian. Um, I will also describe myself as queer um, and also um, at times describe myself as gay. And mm-hmm. I describe myself in those ways um, in order to kind of invite people into my experience in this world and um, to help them kind of understand me better. And um, I I like to say that I describe myself because a lot of times I find that some Christians can get very hung up on the word identity Mm. and just get distracted by this, you know, (laughs) thing like, oh, she identifies as a lesbian. And then from there, draw these conclusions that this is my ultimate identity. And um, I'm not, you know, saying that this is ultimately what makes me who I am, but it is definitely a big part of my experience living in this world. And so I think it's important to um, be able to describe it. Um, And then the second part of that is Uh, sharing a little bit about your journey of coming to understand yourself and the relationship between your faith and sexuality. Yeah. So uh, like many LGBTQ Christians, I uh, went through something of a crisis when I discovered that I was attracted to women. And it really was a journey to reconcile my faith with my sexuality. And ultimately, if I could, I guess, summarize what that journey for me has looked like. It's looked like ultimately getting to a place where I can let go of my fear of sin. Mm. And for me, when I was in that place of crisis with my faith, I was so afraid of going to hell that it was like, no matter what choice I made, I was doomed. Because if I chose to pursue celibacy, it would be out of a fear of hell. And even if I Mm. did pursue a sexual relationship, I would still be afraid of hell. And so there was just no way that I could live my life um, if I was living it from that place. And so my journey with reconciling my faith and sexuality was a journey of learning to let go of my fear of hell and sin and damnation Mm. and uh, learning to follow Jesus, accepting that I'd make mistakes and that he would help me sort out those mistakes as I grew in faith with him. And so for me, arriving at celibacy in my life, it was a a matter of coming to that place in the context of a relationship with Jesus, Mm. where I was more committed to him and to following him than I was to a sexual ethic or Mm. a moral code. Um, For me, arriving at a place of celibacy, being a healthy choice in my life, it had to come from a place of following Jesus and not following a sexual ethic. Um, And that was what really gave me liberty and allows me to realize that I'm not a better Christian in my celibacy than people who live different than I do, because Jesus is at work in LGBTQ Christian lives Mm. um, regardless And um, that is uh, something that um, I see as being very important um, in terms of my faith and how I think about faith and sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. I I have noticed in a lot of my relationships with other LGBT people that fear is a lot of the motivating factor for Mm -hmm. a lot of their decision making. Like Mm -hmm. when when you talk about fear being behind a lot of um, your journey, what were some of the the dangers for you um, in having that be the motivating factor for your decision-making in your spiritual life? Well, I I think the biggest 
danger is uh, having my faith turn into a work of the flesh mm. rather than a product of the spirit being at work in my life. And for me, allowing fear of sin and fear of hell to rule my Christian life, really it was a, a threat to the gospel hmm. in my life because it was denying the power of Jesus Christ to save me and replacing it with my own ability to save myself by doing this and doing that and staying pure. And um, at the end yeah. of the day, Jesus isn't saving me anymore. I'm saving myself. And <sighs> that is a threat to the gospel and what the Christian faith is all about. And so yeah. in a lot of ways, I had to get back to the basics. <laughs> <laughs> of what Definitely. it means to be a Christian um, in order to kind of overcome some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I've, I've noticed that too. That's so, so good that you mentioned that. Uh, noticed recently that having fear of sin in particular be a motivating factor for my spiritual life sort of mm -hmm. sends the message to those looking on my life that sin has not actually lost its power over me mm -hmm. because I'm obsessing about it constantly. Yeah. So that's yeah. really, really helpful. Well, moving on to specifically what you're doing now, um, I hear you're working on a book project um, for working on a, a book about LGBT discrimination and victimization. Would you like to... Tell us a little bit about what that project is like. Uh, so the book project that I'm working on is, uh, it's still kind of in development. So it's, it's going to evolve and kind of take shape over the next year. But mm -hmm. generally speaking, it is uh, about LGBTQ discrimination in the church and what it's like to exist in the church for an LGBTQ person. And yeah. um, the hostility that a lot of LGBTQ people face, but then also the victories as well. And mm. looking at also the successes and where things go right for many people. So yeah. kind of wanting to kind of put a finger on some of the things that are going wrong and then also hopefully cast a vision for a better way for the future that allows LGBTQ people to truly thrive in their relationship with Jesus Christ um, mm. and not experience so much guilt and shame and, and oppression um, in their lives as they're following Jesus. Because really, Jesus yeah. came to save us um, <laughs> from guilt, shame, and oppression. He came mm. to um, set free the captives. And so the working title of the book right now is Heavy Burdens, um, mm -hmm. which for me was inspired by the um, passage where Jesus, he condemns the religious leaders and he says, um, woe to you, <laughs> for you uh, put burdens upon people too heavy to bear, and you yourself are not willing to uh, lift them with your finger. And I, I think that in many churches, there is uh, a burden that is placed on LGBTQ people that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, and I, I think of, you know, in Pilgrim's Progress, where... <laughs> oh, deep cut. Where, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you think of Pilgrim's Progress, if you've ever read that story or are familiar with that story, Christian, he arrives at the cross and he's carrying this heavy burden on his back, right? And mm -hmm. he gets to the cross and uh, his moment of salvation when he looks at the cross is simultaneously a moment when the burden slips from his back and tumbles away. <laughs> and I think... Many LGBTQ people experience their faith as arriving at the cross, having this burden taken away by Jesus Christ, but then a Christian comes around with an even greater burden 
and throws mm. it right back on their back and then tells them that they have to journey all the way to the celestial city like that. Yeah. And that's not the gospel. That is <laughs> denying the work of Jesus Christ. Um, and mm. so I guess my book is really wanting to kind of identify what are some of these burdens and how can we let these go so that LGBTQ people can truly experience the freedom of what it means to walk with Jesus Christ without um, burdens that are too heavy to bear. Yeah. Are there any, um, any particular burdens or particular themes that have stuck out to you as you've been thinking about this and heard stories? Yeah, I think a big one we talked about already uh, was fear of sin. Mm -hmm. um, and just how that winds up becoming this all-encompassing thing that can rule the life of a person and yeah. you know, really ca cause them to experience their spiritual life as a prison rather <laughs> than something that is liberating. Um, and so that's definitely one. Um, I think another theme is uh, double standards that are um, sometimes levied where expectations are placed upon LGBTQ people um, to achieve a level of purity that is never expected of a straight or a cisgender person. Mm. Um, and where there's grace for a straight person to mess up and make mistakes. There is no such thing for a gay yeah. person. And um, that just doesn't work in the Christian life because the Christian life is, you know, full of ups and downs and falling on your face and getting back up. And <laughs> if an entire group of people doesn't have grace to fall down and mess up and make mistakes, then really, the Christian life is impossible. We're expecting them to be perfect the moment they get saved yeah. rather than recognizing that the process of sanctification is a journey and mm. that takes time and is not going to look the same um, for every single person. And uh, another, another theme that has come up as I've been writing and, you know, talking to people and, you know, getting their perspective and hearing their stories is uh, how much LGBTQ people just need space, hmm. um, need, need the freedom to make their own choices instead of having those choices made for them. Hmm. And uh, more than one person has told me that even though they are pursuing celibacy, even though they have chosen to live by a traditional sexual ethic, it makes such a difference to know that that is not a condition for their fellow Christian to love mm -hmm. them, that they could not have that be true, but still know that they could be loved and accepted. Yeah. Um, and more than one person has told me that like, just knowing that they have that space and that freedom actually makes it easier for them to pursue celibacy and easier <laughs> to yeah. follow the traditional ethic because, um, they know that the love of their community is not conditional. Yeah. And What's that, that it's not that false gospel you were talking mm -hmm. about earlier, um, mm -hmm. like Christians putting additional burdens <laughs> on the backs of LGBT people. Yeah. after Jesus has freed them. <laughs> yeah. Or I think uh, setting up another threshold through which people have to pass in yeah. order to encounter Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, definitely. Exactly. And just to add another thought, I, you know, when it comes to double standards in the church, you know, I think it's so interesting 
when you look at some of the, I guess, trends that are taking place. Um, so I think, for example, the Me Too movement. And mm-hmm. you look at that movement and it was it really began to pick up steam in 2017 as all of these abuse allegations started to come out. And um, it started to be exposed that the church was complicit in a lot of these um, abuse scandals um, to yeah. a, a startling degree. Um, and you have all of these leaders that are being outed for sexual harassment and molestation and abuse. And even um, Andy St- Andy Savage, you know, he uh, you mm-hmm. know confessed to having sexually assaulted a teenage girl that was under his leadership. Um, yeah. And and you look at all of these things that were going on in 2017, and you kind of see how Christian leaders just kind of swept a lot of these things under the rug and were willing to kind of just ignore them or not treat them as that big of a deal or, you know, this mm. is, you know, just minor things. Even, you know, Andy Savage, when he confessed to the sexual assault that took place, he was giving, he was given a sta- standing ovation and remains remains ordained to this day and is even right now as we speak trying to start a new church and so you have all of this all of these terrible things going on (laughs) and in this context in this climate a few months later revoice starts getting noticed and everybody loses their minds because a bunch (laughs) of gay christians are gathering together to support each other and being faithful to a traditional understanding of scripture. And uh, you see that um, just side by side, what a contradistinction that is, where you have just legitimate, awful things taking place. And so much grace is just thrown all on top of it to cover it up and forget about it, ignore it. But a bunch of gay people getting together to try to be faithful to how it, they understand scripture, calling them to live, they are the threat. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, really, I think, exposes um, how backwards a lot, of pe- a, a lot of the thinking around this issue is. Um, yeah. And people's inability to kind of see clearly what's really going on. For sure. Yeah, I think even the conversation about language is so so heavy for some reason mm-hmm. and i think is that is that another theme that you've seen in in policing language as being a way that lgbt christians experience a lot of um trauma or discrimination has that some, been something that you've seen oh yeah for sure that's definitely something that has come up um even just yesterday i was talking to someone who was talking to me about just an awful experience that he had had where he had come out and as a direct result of coming out he was immediately he he immediately lost his job and <sighs> um his church was uh, unable to sympathize with him because they were so stuck on, you shouldn't be calling yourself gay. And (laughs) it was like they they couldn't even see this awful thing that had taken place in his life because in their minds, he shouldn't have been calling himself gay in the first place. And that to me kind of, you know, underscores how priorities are just very, um, I guess, skewed. When it comes to this conversation yeah. for a lot of Christians, they focus on these very particular pet issues that just feel so big in their minds that they're unable to see the real things that are going on that are really hurting people um, yeah. and that are being ignored as a result. Absolutely. Um, well, one of, one of the experiences I had was meeting with a pastor after a lot of um, really painful but heavy and heavy conversations about uh, faith and sexuality, he said to me something like, 
Grant, I just don't know why you're so afraid of me. Mm. <laughs> it it's sometimes shocking to me to know how many people just don't see LGBT discrimination in Christian circles as a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, they see it as either blown way out of proportion or or maybe just don't even see it existing at all. Mm-hmm. How how would you respond to someone who's coming from that perspective, who just doesn't see LGBT discrimination happening? I would tell them that I have never met, never known personally an LGBTQ person that does not have some kind of heartbreaking story related to discrimination in their lives. I have never known someone like that personally. Um, I have seen, you know, people on Twitter, you know, um, LGBTQ Christians on Twitter say, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I've not experienced any, you know, negative things. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not true. The church is, you know, a a safe place. Um, And so I have seen people say things like that on Twitter. And so for those LGBTQ Christians, I am very happy for them that they have not had negative experiences. But I would also challenge them not to make the fact that they have not experienced discrimination uh, a universal thing that then discounts other people's experiences. And then to straight Christians that say that, oh, this whole thing, it's blown out of proportion. You know, everyone's just complaining and just whining because they don't can't they can't get their way um i would challenge them to listen to more lgbtq people and not just the ones who are telling them what they want to hear but to uh, actually engage with lgbtq people actually get to know them from you know a variety of different perspectives and backgrounds because I don't think that it is possible to really, truly intentionally engage with LGBTQ Christians that have existed within the church for a significant period of time without coming across story after story after story of discrimination. I don't think it's possible. Um, And so if a straight Christian tells me, ah, this whole thing, it's blown out of proportion, what that tells me is that they don't really know the lgbtq community especially the lgbtq christian community and they need to get to know that community better yeah i think also this i sort of picked up on this as you were speaking but lgbt christian discrimination happens i think it's a distinct reality separate from what a person comes to believe about sexual ethics Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people can come to lots of different conclusions. I know you and I have come to a s- certain conclusions about how we want to live our lives and what we think the Bible says about sexuality and sexual expression. But we've experienced this kind of discrimination um, or trauma, even apart from <laughs> from those conversations and what we've come to believe. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's popped up as? as you've been researching for this project? Oh, yeah. I think that one of the big themes that I'm coming across is that LGBTQ people experience discrimination prior to coming out and even upon coming out, um, Mm. prior to identifying um, with any sort of LGBTQ label and even if they identify with an LGBTQ label apart from having any sort of sexual relationship, um, at every level, LGBTQ people experience discrimination, even at the level of not even being out, maybe not even being out to yourself. (laughs) Um, But people still pinpoint you as being effeminate or being Mm. this or being that and, and, mistreat you and discriminate against you because of gay tropes that they see um, and feel threatened by. 
and then treat you accordingly. Yeah. It kind of feels like a, a cruel joke, like before many of us even know something about ourselves, mm -hmm. we're bullied for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that is something that is common. It doesn't happen to everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, I know many people that did not experience any sort of discrimination until after they came out. And I know other people that didn't experience discrimination until um, after they started identifying in a certain way. But I also know many, many people that experienced discrimination prior to even being out to themselves, even understanding their own sexuality. Um, yeah. I can think of one person um, that I've spoken to who just experienced intense physical abuse um, at his <sighs> school by the Christians at his school. <laughs> and uh, it was a specific Christian group and the leader of this Christian group spearheaded um, just, you know, punching him, kicking him at one point, tying him up, you know, these, uh, or things that happened prior to him ever being out or even really completely understanding his own sexuality. It just, but you know, the experience mm -hmm. of queer discrimination um, does not need queer people to label who they are or to make <sighs> certain choices with their sex life. It's an experience of being discriminated against a lot of times just for inhabiting the world differently. Um, yeah. And that is enough for a lot of people. Just being a different person in this world, that is enough for a lot of people to yeah. feel threatened by you and to take things out against you as a result. Yeah. Oh, that's heavy. <laughs> how, how are you taking care of yourself as you're doing this research? So uh, for me, I always uh, ask people what their process of recovery has looked like and uh, uh, that yeah. has always been a source of a lot of encouragement to me because mm. uh, every person that i've talked to has not only a story of trauma that they've experienced but also a story of how jesus has come in and been faithful to them in the midst of that yeah and that is uh, uh, in incredibly, incredibly encouraging for me mm. to see. And, you know, one of the things that I guess in the list of questions that I got sent, um, the gospel was supposed <laughs> to come up at the end, but I'm going to bring up the gospel now because, hey, Do um, <laughs> but um, yeah. that's been one of the most encouraging things for me to see is how these uh, um, incredible Incredible people that I talk to have uh, persisted in their faith, really, and what I hear them naming is a result of not their own grit, but because of Jesus persisting with them. Yeah. And, hmm. and in some ways, these experiences causing them to see Jesus as the one who saves them, not from their homosexuality as it's always stereotypically framed in many churches but he's the one yeah. who saves them from this homophobia that they've experienced mm. um and so i have been just so encouraged to see jesus really honored in these stories as the savior <laughs> that he is yeah um because he truly does save us from the the weight of this world um, and from the crushing yeah. burdens that this world places upon us. And when we, uh, you know, lean into relationship with him, he takes the weight of these burdens and he carries them for us. Um, yeah. and, and that is a beautiful thing to see. And honestly, I can think of few things that are as inspiring to my own faith than to see an LGBTQ Absolutely. person. Yeah, just, you know, growing in faith with Jesus Christ in the midst of persecution by people that bear the name of Jesus Christ, but are unfortunately oftentimes doing the work of the enemy um, and mm. that they are able to, in the midst of that, 
hold on to Jesus even more. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of one of my favorite passages of scripture uh, when Jesus heals uh, the blind man Bartimaeus. Mm-hmm. Um, when he, um, so blind Bartimaeus is, um, is begging and Jesus walks past and he calls out to Jesus, um, have mercy on me. Yeah. And the crowd hushes him. <laughs> the crowd says, quiet down. Jesus has other more important things to do. But then Jesus tells the crowd <laughs> to go back to, to Bartimaeus and say, bring him here. Mm. And so the crowd, the very crowd um, that was telling Bartimaeus to be quiet is the crowd that has to give him the message from Jesus. I think yeah. that's such a beautiful image. And I think it's sort of what you're describing, um, how the gospel breaks in. Mm-hmm. Another question I had is oftentimes it it can become the responsibility of LGBT Christians themselves to educate non-LGBT Christians and to prevent and to address discrimination. And so we can sort of end up doubly burdened, burdened because of the discrimination, but also we have the burden of education. How how might you speak to that tension? I guess the first thought that I have is that it is the responsibility of the church, gay Mm -hmm. or straight, cis or trans, non-binary or binary, to prevent and address issues of discrimination. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a Christian community problem that affects the entire spread of our spiritual family. In practice, however, LGBTQ plus people shoulder most of that burden. And I think that part of the reason for that is many Christians remain blind to the Mm. injustices that are taking place because it's just not injustices that they experience that they have to deal with on the daily. Yeah. Whereas an LGBTQ person, that is their life on the daily navigating these things. Mm. And so I would say for straight Christians, I would uh, challenge them to open their eyes to see the harm that is being done, Um, often right in front of them in their own churches, Mm. oftentimes harm that they are unwittingly inflicting themselves. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't make them a bad person because we all mistakenly do harmful things. Um, And I've never met a Christian who is intentionally like, I'm going to harm this person today. I've never met anyone like that. I'm sure they exist. I just don't know them. (laughs) Um, Most Christians that I know mean well. They're not trying to do harm. But um, the first step is opening your eyes to seeing the ways that the people around you on the specifically queer people around you are hurting and to see the things that are hurting them and how you can play a role in, in bringing healing instead of hurt. Mm. Um, And then on the other side for queer people, I would say a lot of times we are too aware of all the things that are going wrong and all the hurts that we are not only we are enduring, but our friends are enduring and this person out there is going through and it all just becomes this like big thing that we walk around with every day. You know, this big cloud that prevents us from seeing the sun. Yeah. And uh, I would say that for us, we have to shift our gaze to see what's going Mm. on. That's right. Um, and to dwell and celebrate on those things too, um, for our mm-hmm. own mental sanity. And that doesn't yeah. mean denying the injustices that are going on, but mm. that's not the only story that's happening. Mm. There are allies out there. There are people that are doing, you know, good things that are, um, changing the narrative in positive ways. And, 
we have to be more aware of those things than we are yeah. of the injustices that we experience. Otherwise, it's easy to fall into depression and to lose hope mm. and to just get consumed by the darkness that is all around us. And we have to be able to see the hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It reminds me of a lot of, um, a lot of similar um, power dynamics um, in Christian spaces, but in, in all spaces, really, mm -hmm. when there is a, a majority group that experiences a lot of privilege and power and can be blind <laughs> to the experiences of a minority group mm -hmm. um, that experience discrimination and victimization. Um, I think you're, you're sort of talking about how um, the majority group needs to hear or to emphasize more the message of the cross. And maybe the minority group needs to hear more the message of the resurrection. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it. I love that. Um, I'm thinking also of side B people in particular, side B LGBT Christians. Mm -hmm. um, they can often end up in a, a really tricky spot. Mm -hmm. um, I think all LGBT Christians end up in a really tricky spot. Mm -hmm. But the particulars of being a side B person is that you sort of get hit from all sides, um, you know, viewed by some as a slippery slope into uh, becoming a side A or affirming a same-sex sexual behavior, or um, from the other side, sort of being viewed as basically ex-gay or mm -hmm. um, inherently homophobic. How, how have you handled that kind of criticism, and how, do you, how would you advise others who are trying to handle that kind of criticism in their lives? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there's an iron, there's an irony that kind of underscores a little bit of this conversation because sometimes how I feel is that there's one side and they say gay people should be celibate. But at the same time, it feels like they're hoping that you fail at your celibacy so that it can prove that you were on a slippery slope that whole time. Um, and so it's it kind of seems contradictory because they want you to be celibate, but they secretly don't want you to be celibate in order to prove that you were on a slippery slope that whole time. Oh, that's so true. <laughs> that's how it feels to me, at least. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But then, you know, there's the other side. And the other side is affirming, but it oftentimes feels like they're hoping that you hate yourself in order to prove that mm. your theology is toxic. Um, and so they say they're affirming, but it's almost like they want you to be self-hating as a way to like mm. prop up their idea that, you know, what you believe is this terrible thing. Um, and so it's like yeah. both sides say one thing, but then seem to be hoping the opposite out of your life in order to prove that the way you were living was the wrong way to do it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so, that is, yeah. That's so <laughs> encouraging to hear. I, I have not been able to express that before. That's so helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it kind of feels like there's, there's no winning. Um, <laughs> but I know that not everyone is like that. Um, I, I think that there are definitely people on either side that kind of make make side B people feel this way. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think that they are by any means the majority of people. Um, but, you know, when I, I do run into um, side A people that maybe are concerned that, um, you know, side B is no different than side X or side Y. Mm. Um, I, I try to focus on not, you know, X, Y, Z side B person that has hurt them because I always find that, you know, they can, you can always name someone that has mm -hmm. hurt you that kind of manifests this thing that, you know, represents, you know, X gay thinking. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so I try to focus on myself and the way that I'm living my life and that I support their agency to follow Jesus in a way that is consistent with how they are reading the Bible and mm-hmm. how the Holy Spirit is convicting them. And I support their agency to follow Jesus um, in and, and be at peace with how the Holy Spirit is leading them. Um, and that because I support them um, and their agency in their life to follow Jesus, um, that I want them to also support my agency to do the same and to follow Jesus in a way that is at peace with my convictions, with how the Holy Spirit yeah. um, is leading me and how I read the Bible. Um, and we can support each other in following Jesus. Even if those paths ultimately look different, we don't need to be a threat to each other. And then yeah. on the other side, for people that are um, maybe side X or side Y, um, mm-hmm. and that might say, you know, you're on a slippery slope before you know it, you're you know, going to be married to a woman and that's going to be the end. Um, <laughs> I uh, it, try to find ways to remind them that ex-gay theology actually has a proven track record of leading gay people to ultimately become affirming. Um, mm. You know, I think of, you know, some of the major leaders that are now affirming like Alan Chambers and John Pock, you know, for these big ex-gay people, you know, you look at where yeah. ex-gay has led people. And if anything, the ex-gay narrative has a proven track record of leading people down <sighs> an affirming path. Mm. And so if that is really their criteria for discrediting the way that I live my life, then it would seem they would need to also discredit their own paradigm. Um, and uh, Zika, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, but in my mind, I don't think that slippery slope way of thinking is actually helpful because it's based upon, once again, fear of sin. And yeah. if all they see is the potential for sin, then they'll never be able to build a life that is based upon pursuit of Jesus. Because avoiding sin does not actually help you follow Jesus. It <laughs> means that you're going to be running from sin your whole life, but really running towards Jesus is ultimately what empowers you to live a righteous yeah. life. Mm. That is so, so helpful. <laughs> um, man, very encouraging, very encouraging talk. I feel like this conversation can be so heavy. It's so nice to see um, you see so much hope in this. <laughs> I think you have to, you know, keep keep the gospel front and center in conversations like this. I think it's when when you forget Jesus, when you forget the gospel, that no matter what side you're on, you wind up spiraling into mm. a place of darkness. And I think whenever it comes to a conversation like this, Jesus has to be the center. Otherwise, doesn't matter who you are, you're going to yeah. wind up going down a path that's unhelpful. Yeah. Um, in what ways do you think, um, you mentioned sort of several different um, groups of people in, in the LGBT Christian community, lots of different um, ideas about how best to live that out. How might we all work together to address um, discrimination mm. uh, and victimization for LGBT people? I know we can, oftentimes it feels like we can sort of get at each other's throats, um, mm-hmm. even unintentionally. Um, and I know also that I think we're often pitted against one another mm-hmm. um, in order to convince convince us that the other person is the enemy actually mm-hmm. um so how yeah how would you what are what are some ways that we can all work together across the spectrum of belief to address discrimination for lgbt people i think that when it comes to answering this question i think that it is important to get back to what we were just discussing as being the the main thing and mm-hmm. that is prioritizing the gospel. 
and prioritizing the, the primacy of Jesus Christ. And to the extent that the way that an LGBTQ plus person is being treated in the church, to the extent that their treatment denies the gospel message, then that is something that we can work together on both mm -hmm. sides of the aisle to speak up against and to change and to fix. Yeah. Um, to, the, to the extent that the ways that LGBTQ people are treated denies who Jesus Christ is and what he means to the Christian faith, mm. to that extent, we can come to agreement um, <laughs> and work together to address issues that are taking place in yeah. the church towards LGBTQ people. And so this means that when uh, I see a side A Christian who is made to feel like they're going to hell because they're not celibate, then that's something that I can speak up against mm. because uh, that's denying the gospel. Because the gospel is not, you must be celibate in order to be saved. The gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Mm. And that also means that when a side A Christian sees the abuses that side B Christians endure in the context of the church, that they should be willing to speak up against those too. Mm. Uh, because uh, those are experiences that are real. And most side B Christians really do not get special treatment because they're celibate. And that's a, a common misconception that many people yeah. have that, that because we're celibate, we're, we're treated better and we're, we're accepted more. And uh, yes, there are some Christians who accept us because we're celibate, but really the vast majority do not accept us upon that condition. And yeah. so it's important to realize that, that celibacy is not this special ticket to special treatment in the church. Um, and so uh, I think that across both sides of the aisle, it's important to remember that to the extent that people are saying that the gospel requires sexual purity in order to be saved, that is not the gospel. It is a mm -hmm. works-based salvation. And when we create a works-based salvation, that robs us, side B Christians, of joy and freedom in our celibacy or in our marriages um, because it turns our choice to pursue celibacy into a work of the flesh. <laughs> um, and then on the other side, it condemns our side A Christians to hell for coming to the yeah. wrong theological conclusion on a matter that is a rather confusing topic to figure out and, and rather difficult to um, parse out. And uh, the gospel is worth fighting for yeah. on both sides of the aisle. And so to the extent that the gospel is turned into a works-based salvation, to the extent that we are saying, people are saying that sexual purity is necessary in order to be saved. That is something that side A, side B, across both sides of the aisle, we can work together in order to correct, and mm -hmm. we can support each other in pursuing Jesus Christ, even though our lives might look different. We don't need to be threatened by those differences because ultimately what we have in common is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is ultimately yeah. what unites us. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say, I'll say one more thing on that topic. Sorry, just this other thought just comes up. Um, yeah. I think especially when it comes to the LGBTQ world, it's especially important that LGBTQ Christians, the queer Christian community, can find a way to get along across these lines of theological difference. Because mm. at the end of the day, if we ourselves can't find a way to get along, then I don't know how we can expect the larger Christian world to get along on these issues. And yeah. so I think we have to find ways to get along with each other. Because if we yeah. can't, then it's difficult to expect others to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, I think it was the, the QCF conference from a couple years ago 
when Julie Rogers was speaking, um, she she gave an address where she said explicitly, like, here are the ways that side A and side B need each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she talked about how the people who have most often stood up to um, LGBT discrimination um, in in the broader world are our side A and non-Christian mm-hmm. uh, LGBT people. Mm-hmm. Um, and side B people are, are thinking through like radically how, how to provide support for people outside of just marriage and romance. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we both, we both are, we have a lot to offer each other. And I think we have a lot, um, a, a lot we can work together on. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that, that's really encouraging. Um, last, the last question before I, I ask if there's anything you'd like, more you'd like to share, but if you were speaking to specifically um, a side B Christian in an environment where they might be experiencing discrimination um, or might be experiencing some trauma, what kind of advice would you give to them? So on this topic, I think that I would say, first and foremost, take care of yourself. (laughs) If you feel like you can leave your community, but you're staying out of a sense of obligation to somehow change the church and and you're trying to be the hero, uh, remember that Jesus instructed his disciples to wipe the dust from the sandals of their feet if their message wasn't heard. And that if you want to leave, you can leave. Don't try to be the hero. Don't try to force yourself Mm. to stay out of a sense of obligation to to try to change the world because ultimately that is not your responsibility. Um, Do what you can. And if it's rejected, you don't need to feel guilty. If you decide mm-hmm. to lead, I'm sorry, if you decide to leave. On the other hand, if you can't leave your community because leaving is not always an option, it's not always an easy thing to do, and sometimes it's not even possible, then I would say find allies within your community that can breathe life into your world to mm-hmm. combat the hurt that you may be experiencing. And uh, especially make LGBTQ plus friends, um, don't be afraid to reach out to people from the LGBTQ plus community, um, people that know what you're going through and uh, can come alongside you and relate to you. Um, it's Sometimes it's just mm-hmm. helpful to know that you're not alone, that you're not the only person who's going through what you're experiencing. And so uh, if, if you are called to stay and you know that you have no choice but to stay, then find the allies, find the people that can breathe life into your world, make friends with LGBTQ plus people so that you are not there alone. God never calls any of us to missions where we are alone. Um, And Mm. so find the people that you can be on mission with in your context. Yeah. Good advice. I wish 13-year-old me could have heard so much of this. <laughs> this is so life-giving to hear all your advice. <laughs> well, thanks so much for sharing so much of your wisdom. It was such a pleasure to talk with you about all this. Weird to say <laughs> in a conversation about trauma and discrimination that it was a pleasure, but it has been a pleasure to talk with you. Well, it's been it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you. I have very much enjoyed getting to chat with you for a little bit. Absolutely. Um, well, you can follow Bridget at what was your Twitter handle again? Traveling Nun. Traveling Nun. Give her a follow. She's got tons of wisdom. Um, thanks for chatting. Thanks. Well, that's it for this week, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. You can go to the show notes to find out more information about Bridget's upcoming book, as well as her uh, blog and 
Twitter handle. If you have been impacted by Life on Side B and want to support us, go to our website, lifeonsideb.com, to become a patron now and support us and get extra bonus content. And keep listening over the next few weeks as we continue with some very awesome conversations. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Talk to you soon.